This is a HeadGum Podcast. While Andrew and Craig believe the joy of discovery is crucial to enjoying any well-told tale, they will not shy away from spoiling specific story beats when necessary. Plus, these are books you should have read by now. On the old overdue ranch, yeah, this week a lot of tumbleweeds on the ranch this we week. Need, we need to like get into it, but it's uh, has been our best week. You know what? And what we don't I made this joke a couple weeks ago. We don't need to get political. It's it's also we made that joke literally last week. Was that last week? Oh yes. man, um, it's just <laughs> been like it just it feels like what's the opposite of the stars aligning? Um, stars exploding. <laughs> Like a champagne supernova in the sky, our stars are exploding, mm-hmm. uh, and it just it reminds me how lucky we are to have a podcast where a bunch of strangers enjoy what we do every week. That's cool, but it does mean that there is some mustering happening. Right? Some, who's ready to be funny? Who? Not me. Welcome to Overdue. It's a podcast <laughs> about the books that you have been meaning to read. My name is Craig. My name is Andrew. And each week, one of us reads a book, and then we talk about it on air, and sometimes we edit it, sometimes we don't, and then we send it out to you, the listening public. Yeah, suckers. Suckers. Sometimes you get the raw <laughs> version. We go all raw dog This on is right. We got, got a lot of emotions. Got a lot of emotions right now. They're mostly, like, worry. And agita. And... Like if you swallowed a peach pit, and you're and you just had it in your stomach all the time. Oh, from, I thought. Oh, I thought you, we were going like we were like uh, Chucky from Rugrats. Like so one of us ate a watermelon seed, and we were worried that a watermelon. Oh, was watermelon! Grow oh man, inside of the... us. Oh no! What? While, those old Nickelodeon cartoons. Like you'll forget that you watched them eight hundred <laughs> times, and then someone will be like, "Oh, what about that episode where it like Chucky?" Was got flowers for Algernon and he could smell again. And you're like, wow, I've spent a non-trivial amount of my life watching this episode of Rugrats. And I just totally <laughs> forgot all about it. I might have watched it more times than I can count on one hand. Like, that's weird. It's a lot. And and when you're a kid, it's not like, oh, this Rugrats sucks. I hate that. I'm not going to watch this Rugrats now. It's like, oh, yeah, I really like this one. I'm so I'm glad this one is on right now. I would watch it anyway, but this one I particularly like. I had favorite Rugrats episodes. I like the one where Chucky gets It's a Wonderful Life and he sees what life would be like without him and like Angelica is a like a god queen who <laughs> has subdued her entire family into servitude because Chucky wasn't alive. I do remember a lot of that good one. Chucky episodes. A lot of good Chucky episodes. Yeah, he is a way stronger character than Tommy Pickles. Yeah. Baby's got to do a baby's got to shut up, Tommy. Andrew, you got a weird lumpy head, Tommy. <laughs> also, his last name is Pickles. What did you read <laughs> this week? What are we going to talk Dee Dee about? Dee Pickles like wanted to keep her own name. <laughs> do you think? 
What what would your maiden name have to be for you to say, nah, I'll take nah, pickles? pickles. I, she did <laughs> have, I'll have the pickles, please. She did have parents on the show, and I think they had last names, but I'm not going to look it up because this has this gone on long enough. Uh, this week I read The Gospel of Loki by Joanne Harris. Um, okay. Joanne Harris was born in 1964, and you may know her as the author of Chocolat. Really? Which was a movie with Johnny Depp in it. Huh. And uh, and it's about chocolate and some other stuff. I've not read it. <laughs> Joanne Harris was born in 1964, the same year both my parents were born, which is interesting, hmm. I guess, for certain uh, values of interesting. Uh, she was born in Yorkshire to an English father and a French mother. Uh, both of them were academics. And apparently it was like a, a thing in her family because... I think her mother's side only spoke French and her father's side only spoke English. Ooh. And she decided that French was going to be her first language and it caused quite a quite a bit of, of consternation eee. in the family. So that was that's cool. That's one benefit of being born an American where we just speak the one language and everybody who doesn't has to leave the country. <laughs> okay. Uh, she was an accountant for a year, a, an unsuccessful accountant is my understanding. Uh, and then she taught modern languages for 15 years. And toward the end of that 15 year run, she was she published some books, um, including The Evil Seed, which was her first one that was published in 1989. And then uh, Chocolat, which was her last one before uh, quitting teaching and becoming a uh, full time author. And every book since Chocolat, my my understanding is that it has been a UK bestseller, at least. Even though her first, her initial books did okay, not great. Mm-hmm. Um, she's done, and on the subject of Norse mythology, which she really likes a lot, and I have a lot of good quotes from her, because uh, her website is very good. I appreciate when an author's website is good and not just, I don't know, like links to books that they did like four years ago and they haven't updated it in a while and like it it actually functions like a modern website yeah like it doesn't have a little badge at the bottom that says works best with netscape navigator (laughs) it's not a by 600 it is not a book in html form it is an actual honest website right it is a a, an an internet website on the information superhighway sure uh she's also published two other books uh rune marks and rune light uh, which also have to do with Norse mythology, but it's it's. What about Rune books... Regular? That's my favorite beer. No, not Rune Regular or Rune Ice. Uh, <laughs> those are books in which the Norse gods have survived into the modern era and are huh. outlaws. I guess. Who? Well, of course they would be. Yeah, but it plays into plays into something with the Gospel of Loki that we're going to talk about, which is like this is essentially Norse mythology fan fiction. Yeah, and I don't mean that pejoratively. I just mean that that's like the best way to describe it, and the way that Harris herself sort of describes it. Let's be let's be honest, though. Like a lot of mythology is fan fiction. Like, I guess if you want to extend, you're taking stories that have been told and going, "Hey, here's what I think should have happened." Hey, that's my favorite god. I'm gonna tell. Sure, I'm gonna sure. tell a story about it. I'm just a, like. I'm where does where does fiction end and fan fiction begin? You tell me. I know, like obviously, if it's on fanfiction.net and it's primarily sexual, then it's fan fiction. Why, but why don't you ask? Uh, what's what's uh, Chuck Tingle? 
No, what's E.L. James's handle? Snow Queen's Ice Dragon? Yeah, why don't you go ask Snow Queen's Ice Dragon where the line is? She'll she'll tell you. <laughs> it's one control F away. <laughs> it's one publishing one, deal away. One find and replace away. <laughs> so, Andrew, are you familiar with Norse mythology at all? Because let me tell you what I know about Nor- Norse mythology. Okay, did you want me to answer the question or do you just want to tell me what you know? Go ahead. You asked me a question, is all. Go ahead. Okay. Social contract. <laughs> Go ahead, answer. I, I played a lot of the Ensemble Studios game Age of Mythology. Ah, yeah. Which was a follow-up to Age of Empires, but people do not seem to like it or remember it as much. No, everyone was all up on that AOE 2. Yeah, AOE 2 is a big one. Um, I know like very, very little, but and, and we're going to get into this as we talk about the book, but I suspect my appreciation of what Harris is doing here would be increased if I knew more about what she was subverting. But yeah, the answer is not a whole lot. Sure. What do you, what do you know about Norse the mythology? Now tell me what you know. Well, I was going to say Final Fantasy games and all the characters and names that they stole I from guess, Norse mythology. Yes. As, there. as a novice dungeon master, I do fully appreciate the ability to just steal names from public domain myths. Well, and your uh, your good good boy J.R.R. Tolkien was a big fan of Norse and Germanic mythology. Yep, yep, yep. Beowulf, etc., etc., etc. And it's interesting. Uh, I went on NorseMythology.org, which Ooh, it's an organization. Uh, it's a website by a guy named Daniel McCoy, mm-hmm. who really, see the real McCoy. He must be because Andrew. He was interviewed as a Norse mythology expert in Major League Baseball's documentary Iron Knight Lou Gehrig. <laughs> Which is what about? Pro- I, probably about like Valhalla or something. Luke Gehrig's baseball bat Whether- was like Mjolnir. <laughs> it's like the hammer of Thor. And maybe that's what it was. I don't know. Dude's our age and has a is like the first one of the bigger websites about Norse mythology that is not Wikipedia. And let me tell you, I spent a lot of time in Wikipedia, and it's very thorough in its name in the use of names i can't pronounce so like i kind of mm-hmm. had to get out of there for a second to understand what was going on and a lot of what we know about norse mythology now comes from texts that were solidified and codified in the 12th 13th centuries and uh, there and what survives is pretty fragmentary right yes like- um it's the codex regis and the poetic edda or poetic eddas and there's some overlap between those two. Uh, there's some later scholarship that kind of brings some other material in. The big thing that I ran across in just trying to read about some of these characters, I was kind of hoping that it would be like any article about a Marvel character where it's like, all right, here's their publication history and here's all their superpowers. But no- it is incredibly, I will say, it's incredibly hard to <laughs> Google anything about any Norse character uh-huh. without scrolling through half a page of marvel results yeah which i guess it's i guess it's i'm i find it a little sad that these that like the yeah the marvel movie universe versions of these characters have sort of overwritten the ones that have existed for 800 years but that's just me like i'm not i can't speak for everybody yeah it's 
whatever. Um, but the the tricky thing about reading about source texts for these gods and these figures from mythology is it's it's a loose pantheon and it's a loose mythology that the term that I ran across is attestations. So like all of these different stories that attest that these things happen, we then kind of cobble them together almost like, you know, deep Roman or deep Greek history where it's like, well, this guy said this happened and this poet said this happened and I will just jumble it all together. And Odin is the wise but cunning grandpa with one eye who has a big spear and loves ravens. Like, okay, cool, mm-hmm. great. We all got one. We all. <laughs> we, he says some stuff at the dinner table at Thanksgiving, but we just kind of let him live. It's cool. Because uh, you don't want him to have his ravens peck your eyes that's out. That's true. Mm-hmm. Uh, you also have Thor. I'm sure we're all familiar with Thor. He's a very handsome man who stars in movies now. He's a very handsome boy. Very handsome boy. He is one of Odin's sons. Um, he has his hammer, Mjolnir, and he kind of got extra popular during the late Viking Age because he was the symbol of strength and power, um, mm-hmm. lightning, et cetera, et cetera. He had a- of course, his his wife, Natalie Portman... <laughs> His chariot was pulled by goats. <laughs> like that's a thing. I don't okay, know. tell me more. Um, hit, and then there's another guy who we'll talk about a lot. I'm sure Loki, and Loki. I yeah, re- I've heard of him. Yeah, uh, Tom Hiddleston, also a pretty man. Uh, Loki, I have always understood to be like a trickster god, and that has stood up in some of the reading that I've read. Reading I've read, sure. Um, what else are you going to do with it? Some I, of the reading that I ate. <laughs> sniffed all that reading. Some of the reading I heard. Uh, now, Loki... I guess you could hear a reading. You could all hear, right, go on yeah. with your story. Uh, you could see one, too. Uh, Loki um, <laughs> is... He's, like, sort of in the Pantheon. So the Pantheon has two parts. There's the Acer gods and the Vanir gods. Mm-hmm. Um Freya is one of the Vanir gods and those two are like they're sort of warring with each other a lot but then they're sort of allies against the giants Loki seems to be part giant from what I can tell uh in this book he's like all Vanir okay cool 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 Um, and but and some of the uh, some of the Vanir gods who are hanging out with with Odin and whoever are maybe like half mm. or something um it's the division between those two is not super important in any case but loki's in this book i don't think but yeah it is it is definitely addressed uh so loki's deal right is that he's always messing with stuff he's always getting involved in crazy schemes and plots always plans be trolling he is there's a whole story where loki and thor embarked on like a bosom buddies adventure Mm -hmm. to get mjolnir back from this guy, oh, yeah, I know this story. Yeah, this this guy named Thrym, who really he like stole Thor's hammer, and wanted uh, to marry the goddess Freya in exchange for returning the hammer. So Loki like went and got all the information, and then came back and suggested. Oh no, Heimdall suggested, and Loki went along with it that they send Thor in disguise 
and there's lots of comical etchings of Thor like upset to be a lovely maiden, of mm-hmm. course. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Loki's there as like a handsome maid because mm-hmm. isn't North mythology so funny? Yeah, and he doesn't have a beard or anything, <laughs> no. so I guess he's he's more able to pass. Yes. Uh, so then it, Thor has a veil on in, in the in this book he has like shaved legs and a veil and okay. jewelry on and he's very he's quite fetching if you don't look as his murderous eyes yeah that's like a whole thing where he like eats all this stuff and Loki's like don't worry he was just so excited to marry you that he yeah. didn't eat and yeah. oh he's looks so murderous in his eyes oh it's just because he couldn't sleep with excitement and then he got his hammer back and beat everyone up it's pretty great yeah uh, the other big scheme that ties uh, Loki to Odin and Thor um, is the death of Odin's son, Balder. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if this figures into this story. I'm sure it does. It does, yeah. Um, but the classical version of this tale is that Odin's son, Balder, had a vision of his death. So his mom, whose name I think is Frigg, F-R-I-G-G. Uh-huh. Uh, That's right. It like basically tells every object in the world to not harm her son, and the only thing that wouldn't agree to this deal was mistletoe. <laughs> so Loki, hearing this, just decides, well, I'm going to make a spear of mistletoe. He wanted to marry Baldur's wife. So he makes this spear of mistletoe. He gives it to Baldur's blind brother and says, chuck it. At your at your brother's could be fun. We're playing that game where we throw stuff at Balder and nothing hurts what a, him. What a funny game! It's, That's a funny game. It's it's like reverse pinata, I guess. Well, uh, not pinata quite. with ranged attacks instead of melee <laughs> attacks. And of course, blind horror horror is his name. Uh, throws Hodor. this no uh, throws the spear and kills his brother, and so they imprison Loki. Uh, on a rock and they tie him up with the entrails of one of his offspring uh, and they set it up so that his wife has to like pour venom into his face all day. Mm-hmm. That's what I learned about him. Yeah, that no, that definitely happens in this book too. The other big th- like influence Loki has on the mythology is his, his offspring. He has three kids uh, that one... <laughs> poet i believe called a pretty terrible yet important family um hell is his daughter who is the female god of the underworld for like people who don't get to go to valhalla Mm -hmm. he gave birth to the giant wolf fenrir who will end up eating odin in the coming ragnarok which is Mm -hmm. the foretold apocalypse and uh jormungandr which is a giant sea serpent that is so big it can Ouroboros itself around the world. Odin chucks it into the ocean and it lives there. And then it like fights Thor a couple of times. And if it ever like releases itself, that will be part of the end of the world. Mm-hmm. And all those things kind of factor into the myths of Odin and Thor. So like Loki, they've got this like kind of triangle of of fighting going on. It's a frenemy sort of yeah. relationship that they've all got. Um and there there are other parts of the whole mythology uh of Norse mythology that are cyclical in nature. There's a lot of animism. Um 
a lot of the gods are kind of just chaotic neutral up to whatever they want. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, you know, it's interesting that it doesn't have a, from what I could tell, the religion does not have a name. It's just called the tradition. Like, we've kind of put this this regional name on it in scholarship, after, you know, later, centuries later. Yeah, and it's got this this different flavor from, like, Greek or Roman mythology, which kind of grew into each other in a lot of ways yeah. over the years. Um, because I, I guess it, it wasn't a religion that a lot of the victors had in these big conflicts in this time. And so a lot of what we have is, like, fragmentary, and we don't have a lot of, like, active worship of these things i don't think not that like the greek and roman gods commanded a lot of active worship no it's it's, by the time this stuff came around but yeah it's just it's it's a more obscure branch of mythology which is part of what makes it interesting i think and so malleable i think Mm -hmm. right did you know that uh wednesday and thursday are for odin and thor yeah cool i knew that thor's day uh that's what i call it (laughs) People get confused sometimes. Uh, did you also know that in the 1994 Jim Carrey and Cameron Diaz vehicle, oh, The Mask, no. that The now? Mask is actually supposed to be Loki's mask? Smoking. <laughs> Auga. That's, that's one smoking fact. Uh, and did you know that the word heathen reportedly comes from uh, Christians taking over land in this area and referring to practitioners of Norse mythology as uh, heathens, those of the heath. Hmm. And it stuck. And it stuck. It stuck. It stu- that's the past tense of stuck. Yes. Thank you very much. It stuck. Would you like to tell me? It stor- storked. <laughs> that's a whole other mythology. Uh, would you like to tell me about this book now? Uh, yeah, for let's let's bridge this conversation that we were just having with the book and talk a bit about um, Joanne Harris's relationship with Norse mythology. So oh, she, as a child, like I believe as a nine-year-old, got a book from the library called Thunder of the Gods by Dorothy Hosford. And this was her first taste of Norse mythology. And she read it over and over and over again and continued reading this stuff over the next few years and just became really enamored of, of these figures. And she started to write her own little stories that were based on established Norse myth. And um, so on her website, she has a whole bunch of really good quotes about what draws her to these characters. Now mm-hmm. um, this is, this is, these are all direct quotes from her. Uh, now in the gospel of Loki and my two earlier rune books, I have tried to reconcile some of history's conflicting views of this controversial character whilst creating a story of my own that runs alongside the original myths. And that's where I get the fan fiction description. From, okay. I think, um, unlike some myths from other cultures, the Norse myths have remained very accessible and understandable to modern sensitivities. Loki, Loki especially seems to me to be a very modern individual riddled with insecurities, a perpetual outsider. That's why I chose him to, That's why I chose to make him the hero of my new book. During the course of the last century, the concept of heroes and villains has become increasingly ambivalent. We have come to enjoy anti-heroes, those complicated, flawed characters who often exist on the fringes of normal society. We are no longer entirely satisfied by the archetypes of story, the whiter-than-white heroes, and the villains with no redeeming features. Thus, Loki satisfies our need to identify on a more human level. His flaws are very believable, and of all the Norse gods, he seems to me the most modern." So 
the Joker, Walter White, and Rorschach walk and into Tony a Soprano. bar. And Tony yeah. Soprano walk into a bar. And Tony Soprano's there. <laughs> and he's like, hey, oh. And he's like, don't stop believing in Loki. And then it cuts to black. Mm-hmm. That's really good. I, I would option that series. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. yeah. Come I, I, soon to Yahoo Screen. <laughs> I think that's... Yeah, she's not... I mean, I think she's totally right about that. I, I think that to our earlier point about this mythology being fragmented, Loki seems to have the tightest brand. <laughs> You know, like, you know, he's he's hard to ascribe motives to, which I think it's like a blessing. And yeah, it helps him. Yeah, well, it helps him. It helps people find something about him to identify with, I think. And then in this book, Harris gives him a perspective and a a point, I guess. Oh, okay. That maybe he doesn't have. And just like all these disjointed stories where sometimes he's a good guy, sometimes he's a bad guy like she rearranges all those myths into a clear arc for him. Oh. Which I think is interesting. That's that's important. Uh so let me go over this arc and actually a couple of the stories that you told were stories that I would have told from the book because I think a lot of the like most of the book is sort of episodic in nature, so it's a bunch of little stories that tie together into one big story and I I think that people who are familiar with Norse myth are not going to find a lot of surprises here. This That's why I think it would be interesting to read it with a deeper understanding of Norse myth than I have because I would like I am reading this and just enjoying it on the level of like these are myths that exist. Yeah, yeah. And it would be interesting to read it and appreciate the small subtle changes that Harris is making that scholars might appreciate a little bit now is it a makes any sense is it a retelling or is it a also a modernization it is both yeah because and part of the modernization actually is in language okay so this is full of completely anachronistic modern language like Like at one point at not cussing but just like so here's an example at one point loki makes a reference to the Got Milk ad campaign, (laughs) which doesn't make any sense (laughs) unless all of these gods and goddesses just knew everything that ever happened in the course of time. And so we're intimately familiar with the Got Milk ad campaign. Like for milk. Like does 90s US culture exist in this book? Sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Uh, so the first, the very first thing you get in the book is like this dramatis personae, personae. How do you pronounce that, Mister Playman? Dramatis, dramatis personae. Okay, dramatis All right. personae. All right, you- it's one of those. And there are lots of there's lot there are lots of modern words and phrases and turns of phrase in this. Um, so sorry. So these are the people you're going to meet in the pages of this book. Uh, a word of advice before you start, don't trust any of them. Uh, so you got Bragi, the god of poetry, two words, expect lutes. <laughs> okay. uh, Manny, the moon, drives a cool car. Soul, the sun, drives a hot car. 
Heimdall, the Watchmen, not a fan. Has it in for yours truly. Yep. Uh, Honier, the Silent, never shuts up. And oh, okay. So this is Loki's drama. This is this is it's all from Loki's. Uh, I dig it. I dig it. I dig it. Okay. Now, did you find that like enjoyable without knowing much more about some of these folks? Because like, is the voice of Loki enough to to for some of this humor to land and some of the the beats to work? Oh yeah, definitely. It's a it's a especially for modern sensibilities. Yeah, it's very accessible and. It's easy to sympathize with Loki. I think for a lot of the reasons that Harris says, you know, he's just he's a he's a sort of anti-hero and getting things from his perspective, you come to a deeper understanding of him. Now, it is important to note um part of this book is about the nature of history, mm. which and the, and there's that oft-repeated observation about history that it's like it's inherently subjective written by the winners it's written by the winners uh both events and their meanings can shift based on the person who's telling the story and the person who's listening to the story um so loki is like opens the book with this little prologue and that prologue ends um that he's he's calling this book the gospel of loki and uh take it with a pinch of salt but it's at least as true as the official version and dare i say it more entertaining ah okay so far history such as it is has cast me in a rather unflattering role now it's my turn to take the stage okay loki tell so tell us what's this up is kind of a this is a kind of a pr campaign for <laughs> loki to rehabilitate his image he's hired some millennials Mm-hmm. He's got help, some millennials to help him run a blog and get a, Twitter, a social media presence and a flicker at the real trickster <laughs> on Instagram. Uh, hashtag World Tree. Hashtag you, you're yourself. <laughs> uh, so, so here's the here's the basic arc is uh, Loki is, he starts the book as a sort of flame being. Yeah. Wildfire floating in in chaos. And he's a servant of chaos who is Capital C chaos? Yeah, capital C chaos, also referred to as Lord Cert. Sure. Um, And one of the big themes in the book that comes up over and over again is this conflict slash cyclical relationship between order and chaos yes and uh, neither neither can be on top for too long like extended periods of chaos make it easier for order to come into the world and vice versa that makes sense um i think that's probably true is he is he perceived or is he portrayed rather as a being of fire or born out of fire because that's part of his origin story for what I've read. He can change aspect and that's aspect with a capital A. Sure. Shape shifting. Um, so like often he appears as a sort of humanoid figure. Often he appears as a hawk. I think it is. It's a, it's a bird of prey and I believe it is a hawk. Um, and then sometimes he switches into wildfire aspect, which is just fire. And usually when he does it, it just burns his clothes off. So it is, <laughs> It's like straight up fire. Okay. There, I did find a couple examples of Danish expressions from the 19th and I guess maybe even early 20th century of like if you see heat vapor like coming off the ground, uh, Loki's sowing his oats today or Loki herds his goats today. 
Yeah, definitely. That's right. That sounds right. Because he is he is heat and flame. And if you ever think that science made everything really boring, I did. Yeah, man. <laughs> Dude, the like Daniel, it made, like it made like vaccines and stuff. Like I'm not throwing shade on science. I went to a science museum, the Liberty Science Center in New Jersey yesterday and it was really fun and i saw a lot of science but also sometimes it's nice to believe that there's magic in the world <laughs> well if you want to believe that there's magic in the world you just start learning about quarks and stuff because that stuff might as well be norse mythology yeah like dark matter yeah what is i that? love i love the explanation for dark matter because the explanation is well the things that we know to be true or are pretty sure are true don't make sense unless there's a bunch of like invisible <laughs> stuff in space that we just can't see oh so and, that must be what it is and the giant <laughs> tube that we built in the ground to understand all this stuff yeah it can be undone by toast you guys someone dropped a baguette in it and it doesn't work now the Whoops. dark matter is eating everything oh no yeah, this is science. Let's just keep doing the science we're doing, but like ascribe it all to cool gods. What if the Big Bang was just God like spilling his coffee or something? I'm what? Come on! I'm like, oh man, not again! Not a, oh here not it like goes! This. Oh here it goes! <laughs> <laughs> Who loves orange soda? I do, I do, I do, I do. Ooh, God loves orange soda. Ham. <laughs> Jesus. What are we talking about? We're talking Loki? about Loki and uh, chaos and order, wildfire aspect. Mm-hmm. He's serving Lord Surt. Mm-hmm. Well, not serving Lord Surt. He comes from a realm where Lord Surt reigns supreme. One of the, the nine realms, I to imagine. The, yeah, to the extent that anybody can rule over just pure chaos. I bet he um, can. But he is like... Odin calls him forth and he's given flesh and that sort of marks him as a betrayer of chaos. Okay. Because I don't like chaos inherently can't really be this physical mortal thing. Yeah. By having a physical body, there's a certain amount of order there. Sure. Yeah. And he, and he does come to enjoy many physical sensations, not pain, but uh, sex and food, like the good ones. Sex and food. My two favorite sensations. Welcome to our new podcast, sex and food. (laughs) I love experiencing the sensation of food. (laughs) Just let it wash over me. Um, and yeah, so he, he, is brought into the fold of gods at Asgard. Um, he actually helps them out a lot in his own tricky way. Like he tricks somebody into building them a really cool like fortress. And um, Asgard or something. Yeah, okay. Asgard, yeah. And he tricks people into giving them like cool weapons and stuff. But the other gods, especially Heimdall, Heimdall who he embarrasses like right off the bat Aww. by beating him. One could say unfairly, but another person would say, like, that was just his interpretation of the rules, man. <laughs> um, so, yeah, Heimdall doesn't like him. Most of the gods treat him with some level of suspicion. Okay. Uh, but he's, for a while, and, and Odin says, you know, I'm going to treat you as a brother. I will not pour myself a glass of wine without making sure that yours is full first oh okay that's very nice because odin's like the big dog on campus yeah odin's the guy like he's the general rise not the car insurance guy but like the like (laughs) 
the leader of the of the gods. He is not a two foot like CGI cartoon with no eyes car insurance. What man. if Mr. Magoo went into the army, the general? Oh man. Oh man, we lose all the wars. <laughs> so does this like does this relationship persist? Does Loki screw it up? It has its ebbs and flows. So Loki eventually is clever enough, often enough, that people start being like, instead of like despising him and mistrusting him, they start being like, oh, that's our Loki. <laughs> he, he is Which going, is another sitcom that's coming to Yahoo okay, He's going full fall. Cosmo Kramer on this. Yeah, okay. that's our Loki. Okay. Um, and yeah, he and Thor have a few adventures, the the most uh, important of which is the one that we already talked about, where Thor is dressed up as a bride and then kills everyone. <laughs> <laughs> Though in the book, I think it's more Loki's idea than it is Heimdall's idea. Heimdall does very little other than grit his teeth and pray for the day that he can kill Loki. Well, I imagine in this story, Loki's going to take all the credit. Like that's the advantage. Yeah, Loki of takes all it, the yeah. credit. And, and yeah. And that's, that's another persistent theme is that, all right. So, so Loki is in good with the gods for a while, but he's like, his big thing is like, never trust anybody. He's like, everybody cold Steve Austin. Yeah. Everybody's out to screw you all the time. And, and, but he does admit that he does have this desire to belong. Yeah. Like, like, does he have a purpose besides just being an agent of chaos? Yeah, definitely. Like he's his chaotic side is even downplayed for a long time because he's trying to fit in and be accepted and find like the things that he's supposed to want, which I think is is a very human slash antihero thing about him is that he does achieve success by a lot of metrics he has a wife and he has kids not the like wolf and snake kids but like regular kids Um, he has the ear of odin for a long time he's pals with thor but much like don draper he is sort of self-destructive and just generally unhappy with all the stuff that he's supposed to that he's supposed to want like he's gotten it all but He's got a bit of, is this all there is about This is it, not you know? my beautiful house. This is not my yeah. beautiful wife. How did I yeah. get here? That famous Mad Men quote. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> now, as you're, as you're saying, he had a wife, he had these kids. Like, are they still ruling over Viking people? Are they just hanging out in their own, like... I guess that's a part of Norse mythology that I don't quite comprehend is their relationship to us, the people who live in Midgard? They have, and and part, okay. So here's another thing about this book: is that they do have admirers among the folk, as they refer to the that's, folk. That's, yeah, that's humanity. How generous of them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's not like you don't see a lot of humanity in this book. Like you do get individual characters. There are some of them milling around at Ragnarok at the end, because that is the end of the arc. Yeah. Um, Loki loses. He falls from grace with the gods is exiled. Eventually teams up with this um, evil goddess, uh Golveig. Okay. Uh, she's a renegade of the Vanir and yeah, she's hated, um, the gods of Asgard for like a long time. So eventually he teams up with her and brings about Ragnarok. And of course, in Loki's telling of the story where Loki is the most important figure, Odin 
like begs him to come back in in a very like proud and and yeah proud is the only word i can think of in a, in a very proud way that is characteristic of odin but turns loki off and loki has this sense like witnessing ragnarok that if i had gone to the other side like probably we could have won oh wow probably the end of the world didn't have to happen and like that's just his interpretation sure but yeah that's that's he is definitely the linchpin of like everything in his version of the story which is interesting now when you said he brought about ragnarok like how did that happen is that just the thing where he killed odin's son what ha- what is this version of that he story? Kill, um he kills odin's son and that's that's part of the run up that gets him exiled in the first place is that he is the one now it's not just that she like forgets to name mistletoe or whatever it is it's a loki in the aspect of this old woman tricks her basically and says oh what is what could mistletoe possibly do like there's so much more dangerous stuff in the world that you have to name Oh, whoa. To keep it from killing your son. So, yeah, and then Loki gives the the blind guy, Hodor, not his name, but <laughs> I'm going to keep going with Hodor. I think it's H-O-O with a symbol and R. Hodor. Oh, sure. Yeah, not Hodor. Hold the, hold the dur. Hold the dur. <laughs> um, yeah, so he's he's more directly responsible for that. And then there's this... I mean, he's being excluded from everything. Even Odin's got, like, icing him out. And he has this thing where he basically goes to this party that he hasn't been invited to. He gets super drunk and, like, roasts everybody. Okay. And he even says he he doesn't... It's not called a roast, but he does say that it's become a tradition among the folk to, like, go and, <laughs> and like, air your grievances. Okay. To your, to your friends in that way. Uh, so, yeah, he's definitely exiled after that because he's very mean to a lot of people. So he Gilbert Godfrey's all of them and yes. they get mad about it because he's making <laughs> cracks about about their how fat careers. They are and stuff. Yeah. yeah. OK. Um, and then he is locked down in in the depths of the earth or whatever. And there's a snake like spitting venom and then his face venom. <laughs> venom. Venom. <laughs> And eventually he like he's traveling through the dream realm, which is kind of the only place where he can go because he's all physically constrained. He meets up with Galveg in a dream and she gets him out of there and then they start marshalling their forces. And Loki is done like because he has he's kind of been idly thinking about undermining the rest of the gods this whole time. But it's it's been sort of this an, an idle pastime of his. Like he, he's he's been doing stuff, but like by himself, he's not going to undermine them enough to get anywhere. So he's done things like take away some of their weapons, and and yeah, he got he got um what's his name killed? Balder. Uh yes, Balder. But he doesn't have like an end game. No, not not anything in particular. But once he teams up with Galveg, yeah, the end game is literally the end game, the end of the world. Oh, Even no. though he says, you know, everything is cyclical. There are there are beginnings and endings, but there are, is no like beginning and end. And so, you know, the the modern era that follows from all of this stuff is sort of implied throughout. Yeah, there's an implication that f- there will be some gods who make it. And there will definitely be two humans that get to live 
afterwards and make more humans. Mm-hmm. I don't know. If Adam, it's... Adam and Steve. Adam and no. I can't stop getting political. I, I can't stop it. It's <laughs> man, this election season. It's infected me. I just need the purge to happen. Just get this election day over with. <laughs> yeah, Etheridge. Um, what else? So, like, what what happens to him? What well, the world as ends in the, as in the official record. Like, Odin gets killed by Fenrir, and Thor gets killed by the giant snake eagle not eagle the giant snake eel thing jormungand and and loki falls in battle with heimdall like they just both mutually fall to their deaths and it's the implication is that loki lives on to to see another day because so he gets balder killed but it's because he made this deal with hell his daughter who is the guardian of the dead that she really likes Balder, and so if he can give her Balder, mm, okay, he, she owes him a favor, and it's a big deal for like the Lord of the Dead to owe you a favor. Okay, um, so it's it's implied that he sort of he has a future past Ragnarok. We don't see it in this book at all, but that's the implication of like why he's around and telling this this story right now. I feel like I'm I'm meandering a little bit, but like that's the that's the basic deal. It's just like the the gods are all presented as very human. It's a fractured take on established myth, mm-hmm. and Loki has made himself central to everything. And he says, you know, it's <laughs> it's not all true. I'll admit that up front, but it's at least as true as the stuff that you know already. That was. <sighs> What's the difference between history that's written by me? versus by odin (laughs) and and odin like the it's he brings loki out of the out of chaos to do his dirty work basically like they're both in many ways like equally distrusting and conniving but odin needs to be able to to have some deniability yeah basically can you talk about how loki characterizes odin and thor because those are the two guys that we know the most about elsewise thor is a very strong idiot who at least has a good sense of humor (laughs) odin is odin is very much uh a a figure who you know like in another time under under uh, under other circumstances we could have been friends or like if only we had both decided to mutually trust each other without all the trickery and stuff everything could have been okay it's a very like I don't know. It's a very what could have been if we had trusted each other sort of relationship. And I I don't know what you got about their relationship from your research. Just, I don't know. It seems like they're always, they're on, seems like they're on more adventures together than I would have anticipated. Right. Yeah, that's that's a thing in the book sometimes. I mean, and and at least once it's part of a, a bigger game by Loki because he's always trying to play the long game this guy is. Yeah, and he he's playing off both sides. He's occasionally like going and hanging out with the giants who are always at war with the gods it seems. It the the interesting thing about this mythology compared to say Greek mythology which we do get like ramalamajammed down our faces in middle school 
Yeah. Um, is there is and that's not, all about like God's having sex with cows and stuff, like hundred yeah. percent, right? Mostly, right? Hundred uh, percent. And occasionally, like you have sex with the wrong person, you turn into a flower. Like that's what I learned from. Greek or you have mythology. to push a rock up a hill, or and have sex with it. <laughs> yeah, you have to have sex with a rock. <laughs> Uh, but in that mythology, the Titans exist, and they are like explicit origin, but bad guy dudes that live under the earth, and they're help. like the gods before the gods, you know? Yeah, and I think there's a version of that in this, but it's it's less clear, and the antagonism between the Aesir and anyone else is also a little more fluid than it seems like in other mythologies. And again, that might just be the result of it being so fractured and and what our understanding of it since the 13th century has become. Perhaps there was a a more codified sense of right and wrong, but I doubt it. I don't think think that that was what it was about. The um the pre god version, and I think that, that that Norse mythology and Greek mythology have this in common is that they have like these elder gods who don't factor into the stories a whole lot, and then yeah. they have these more human, like these gods that are more human than you would expect because they all like fool around all the time. <laughs> they do, and are basically dicks. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so North, Norse mythology has, I mean, order and chaos are the big forces that sure. drive pretty much everything. And uh, this is Loki saying, uh, the authorized version goes like this, supported by the Oracle. From the meeting of order and chaos, there came a giant being called Ymir, the father of the ice folk, and a cow, Adumla, which licked at the salt that was in the ice and brought out the first man, Burry. From this, I think we can all conclude that the cow is the primary instigator of everything that followed, war, tribulation, the end of the world... The end of the worlds. Lesson one: Never trust a ruminant. <laughs> I just and so it's all it's the it's set up as this conflict between the sons of Bury and the sons of Ymir, and then from there we eventually get to the gods that we're more more familiar with. Okay. Do you find yourself? more into this mythology than you did before you read this book because at a certain point who for whom is this book is what is my main question i think it's i'm not sure that it's necessarily geared toward a younger audience but i think that harris must have had her own experience in mind while she was writing it okay because it is very it's a very easy read it's accessible and she helps make it accessible in part with her use of like modern languages and phrases and stuff um yeah it's it's i think people who don't know a lot about norse mythology like me can just enjoy it on the surface as this book about all these dudes who did all this stuff dudes and ladies who did a bunch of stuff okay and people who are really familiar with Norse mythology will be able to enjoy it as an alternate take on established myth. You know, like I, it's for people. I think you need to have at least like a passing interest in this kind of thing to really enjoy it. Yeah, sure. But yeah, if you if you among like... among those people, I think it covers a wide spectrum of like interest and enthusiasm and established knowledge levels yeah I, I imagine if your reaction to the word elf is like that's nerd stuff for nerd boys then like Ugh, maybe nerds. maybe you don't go read this book 
But or maybe you should because like that's not a, a helpful attitude to have, right? Yeah, but if it's it is an attitude that some people have, and they, yeah, they probably will not be as receptive to this. Except there is a lot more sex in this book than there is in The Hobbit. Cool. <laughs> I'll just I'll say that. Just put it out there, okay? Mm-hmm. Is it raunchy sex? It's not. No, it's not super raunchy. It just acknowledges the existence of sex in a way that The Hobbit definitely does not. (laughs) What I'm saying is that The Hobbit would be better if it was sexy. Okay. That's a lot of dwarves. Mm Mm-hmm. All right. I think we're done here. Andrew. Yeah, I think we're good. Thanks for reading this book. Um, It was super super fun to read. To to sum up my review, my book jacket review is- Don't do reviews. It was a fun- Yeah, no, it's not a review. It's a- but if you need a quote from the book jacket for like a future reprint, I say, it's a fun book. Read it. I had fun reading it. And I hope you enjoy listening to this podcast as much as I enjoy making it. Thank but you, you. But you actually did enjoy reading it. it no, I like. did enjoy it. No, I did enjoy it. Because Loki's it. a cool guy. All right. Yeah, no, he's fun. If we, re- if we neglected to talk about your famous, not famous, favorite, favorite Norse god. You should send us an email at overduepod at gmail.com. Tell us what we did wrong. You can also find us on social media, facebook.com slash overduepod and twitter.com slash overduepod. I want to thank everyone who reached out to us on Twitter in the past week, uh, including Facebook as well. That includes Swartzwelder, Fritz, Jennifer, Sean, Eric, Shantastic, uh, Arby, <laughs> Melissa, Arby's? Lucas, I don't, mm, that, yeah, sure. Lucas, Tysophine, uh Ellen Graham, Listening Ahead, which is a, an Australian podcast that gave us a shout out this week. Uh, Rasheen, uh, Sophie, Maria, who drew us an awesome Mrs. Doubtfire robot bird. <laughs> Scott, Quentin. Which is a phrase that only makes sense if you listen to last week. <laughs> Go episode. back and listen to the door. <laughs> Spoiler, that's what's behind the door. Uh, Rebecca, Catherine, Bookman's. Um, Christina, Carmen, Daisy, Susanna, Alexa, Michael, Rachel, Stephen, Erica, Patty, and Joan. Andrew, if those people or anyone else listening want to learn more about the show, where should they go? Uh, they should go to OverduePodcast.com, which is a place to go if you want to find iTunes, RSS, Google Play, Stitcher links. Those are all ways you can subscribe to the show. If you subscribe in iTunes, leave us ratings and reviews. A few of us bumped us up over 300. Whoop, whoop this past week so thank you very much for doing that um we also have links to the books that we have read and are going to read on amazon if you click those links and then buy books or whatever we get a small (laughs) cut of that and it helps support the show um if you want to support us in a more ongoing fashion you can go to patreon.com slash overdue pod and sign up to give us a monthly donation, which a lot of people do. Uh, this was a this was a Patreon recommendation from Grace, so thank you so much for your support, Grace. And I hope that we did this book some kind of justice. Yeah. Uh, what else do we have up there? We have links to Headgum, our podcast network, and Spreaker, our podcast host. Um, thank you to them as always for supporting us. Oh, well, when we were talking about the Patreon, we will have a bonus episode going up later this week that patrons have had early access to, and we recorded because of patrons. It was a Q&A episode that we had a lot of fun 
uh, recording mostly just kind of mailbag stuff about the show, about ourselves, about Pokemon. And you do get you do get some special insider looks at early, really terrible names for the podcast that yeah. we didn't end up using. So <laughs> pretty, pretty good stuff. So uh, I think that's going to go up on Thursday, I think. Great. So look for that. We record those once a month with a variety of topics and formats because of our illustrious Patreon donors. So thank them for that. I am working on Island of the Blue Dolphins by Scott O'Dell for next week. Cool. And And then then, uh, going forward this month as Craig goes on his honeymoon, fingers crossed. Everybody cross your fingers for Craig, please. Um, We've got a couple of cool guest episodes planned that I think you guys are going to like. So. Don't be surprised uh, so, if you fire up the show and there's like extra voices in your ears. Yeah. It's all fine. Don't we be scared. It. Don't throw your phone at the sidewalk. Please just don't panic. Just listen to the podcast like you normally would. Everything is going to be okay. Guys, thank you so much for listening. It means the world to us to hear from you every week, especially when we're having bad weeks ourselves. Um, we will be back next week. And until then, try to be happy. That was a HeadGum Podcast.